and carry the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, which would be a bad show. We take part ourselves. I'm Ross Blotcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy. And when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. Where are we this week? We are back at Contact in the Desert for our final day. Yes. Our final day. And every morning, it seemed like this conference was starting earlier and earlier. The first day, it started at 9. The second day, it started at 8.30. This day, the lecture started at 7.30. And we were like, uh, uh. Uh. Oh, boy. I can one-up you on the uh-uh-uhs there. Yeah, you had an extra uh. I can't tell you enough. If you haven't figured out from this podcast that I don't like getting up early, then let <laughs> me tell you what time I got up today, 1 p.m. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. I told Cara that at one point. I said, like, oh, Carrie wouldn't be up by now. And it was like 11 or something. And she's like, wait, what? <laughs> How did she get so much done? Does it late into the night, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it's not every day, but a lot of days. The night beforehand, we're looking at the schedule, and we both really wanted to hear Patty Greer lecture. Uh, yeah. But we're like, oh, it's 7.30, though. And I was totally willing to side with you on that. I was like, we won't do that then. Oh, yeah. Someone told us that she was taken ill, and then it turned out she wasn't taken ill. Right. But we were kind of glad that we had missed it anyway. And she was going to because... be on a later panel. So we do get to see Patty Greer. <laughs> and boy, is it a treat. Boy, howdy how. <laughs> We'll tell wow. you about it. Ross, Ross's wow. eyes just got really big. <laughs> <laughs> so we sauntered in. <laughs> I'm thinking about it in advance and I shouldn't be because I'll get derailed. Yeah, don't do that. <gasps> Ross, I'm seeing a UFO. That you can't identify? I can't personally identify it. As we're recording this, <laughs> I'm seeing a UFO. Can you hear it? I can hear it. I'm guessing it is a commercial plane. It Well, it looks like one. Like, it's flying through the sky. There are three lights. Mm-hmm. One of them's red and blinking. One was green, one was yellow, and one was reddish in the front. What is that thing? I don't know. What so the hell? it's a UFO. All right, moving on. So we came in a little after nine, and our chosen lecture was another panel, the contact experience panel. We could have seen preparations for direct engagement with ET realities, or we could have learned how might space travel be possible. That sounds pretty good. Or the origins of the Sphinx, the astronomical and textual evidence, or 1000 BC artifacts and technology. All of that sounds great, but we wanted to go to the contact experience panel because that's got our friend Whitley Strieber. Oh, I love him. James Gilliland. I don't think we'd run into him just yet. He sounds familiar. Kathleen Martin, who we'd met before the Ozark Mountain UFO Conference. She's the one who's... The niece of Betty Hill. Yes. And a number of other people. So we're like, oh, let's go check this out. So just as a reminder, at any given time, there are five things going on concurrently. Yes. Oh, man. So sometimes we'd split up, as we will for the next talk. But we both wanted to see this one. Had some good people. Anytime you say experiencer, that's going to be like top of my list. Yes. People who claim they've had direct firsthand experience, right? You always want to get to the firsthand source. You don't have to convince me. No, Ross. I know that you don't want to go, but I want to go. I do. (laughs) All right. So as we came in, we were already hearing about one man's experience, Robert Perala. And he's been added to this panel. He wasn't originally on it. Yeah, there there was a little mix up in the lineup. But yeah, he had a story about astronauts coming to visit him. Astronauts not from here, but from there. Astronaut from here. Oh, 
So Robert Perala is the internationally acclaimed author of The Divine Blueprint and The Divine Architect. He's considered by many to be an inspirational speaker. Oh, yes. Wait, was it one of the most unique speakers? One of the yes, most unique? Yes, and one of North America's most unique clairvoyants. Oh, I like that. So you've got your clairvoyants. That's a circle. And then within that, you have a Venn diagram of just the unique clairvoyance. Mm -hmm. And then within that, you have the most unique clairvoyance. And then within that, you have those from North America. Right. <laughs> He's one of them. Correct. That's cool. He had also done some legit charity work. Yeah. In 2007, he was awarded the prestigious Certificate of Congressional Recognition at Stanford University for his humanitarian relief efforts with UNICEF. Rock on. Yeah. That's all interesting, but tell us about your UFO experience, Robert. <laughs> so, yeah, my favorite thing about Robert Perala, hands down, is that after his abduction experience, he was covered in honey. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So immediately. He was sunburnt. And had honey all over his body or honey-like substance. Immediately, here's what I'm picturing. Winnie the Pooh? The honey, end of Winnie the Pooh. Honey, 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 honey. Swimming. Honey. And he's finally gotten the reward for finding Eeyore's tail. <laughs> and he's swimming in that huge honey pot. And then he'd lick his way out of the situation. That's Robert Perala. Yeah, he had seen these astronauts and they were shining brightly. So he had retold the story initially. Turned out William Shatner was standing next to him. Oh. Yeah, that I was remember that. Okay. kind of his claim to fame that this voice had asked him some follow-up questions. And he turned around and realized, oh, I'm talking to Captain Kirk himself. Wow. Yeah. All right. So also on this panel is Steve Marillo. Yes. He's an ex-Air Force pilot. Yes. And his sort of origin UFO ufology story is that he saw something flying overhead once that he couldn't explain and he reported it to MUFON. And from there, he got interested in ufology because you yeah. know, they were like, yeah, we can't explain it either. And he was telling his original sighting it was ninja star-like objects, uh -huh. which I don't think I've ever seen on those UFO lineups. And wasn't he like a police officer beforehand? Perhaps. I think that was his background law enforcement of some sort the important thing is that he probably had arrest powers <laughs> sure so he actually ended up being the head of his local MUFON for 13 years and he got all these like recovered memories of visitors after this happened oh isn't it always oh, the case that explains why I used to break out into cold sweats when I would see Whitley Strieber's communion book he actually had one of the more useful little explanations that uh, I heard he explained the difference between an abductee and a contactee he said I use the word abductee when I'm talking about someone who isn't going along with the experience and contactee oh. when I was talking about someone who's going along with it. Oh, that's a cool distinction. Yeah. I like so that. That's useful. It was weird because he seemed like kind of a hard-nosed police type. That was sort of his demeanor. You know, I'm real serious. But at the same time, he's trying to lead everyone in this impromptu meditation toward the end of the panel. And he told the story of a screen memory. He used that term, a screen memory that he had with Beanie and Cecil abducting him, the cartoon characters. Oh, okay. That's what he saw. And then he knew later, oh, those are actually aliens pretending to be Beanie and Cecil. Uh, one guy on the panel often stays up till 3.30 a.m. so that he won't have his experiences. As long as he stays up till 3.30, it keeps him from having his- Oh, yeah, that was Steve. Encounters, okay. Smart. <laughs> 
Also, calling out to Jesus sometimes helps yes, to stop them. Yes, for protection. Yeah, again, it just sounded weird coming from this kind of hard-nosed guy. A lot of Jesus talk. Yeah, Jesus gets involved with this whole alien thing. Not sure what that means. So Kathleen told an interesting story. Yes. She Ex- didn't share any of this at the Ozark conference. No. So her experiences started when she was a kid, and she grew up across the street from her aunt and uncle, Betty and Marnie Hill. Mm-hmm. She was 13 when they had their abduction experience. Uh, she says that she found marks on the ground from a UFO where it landed on her grandma and grandpa's lawn right. as well as Betty and Barney's lawn. She lived with her grandma and grandpa. And she says there was paranormal activity on that family farm. There were unexplained orbs. <laughs> Most notably, there was an incident where her boyfriend was staying there overnight right. and he was alone in a room and some coat hangers flew from the closet and attacked him on the bed. Right. And then there were the light orbs again, and they were coming through the walls that night. That was good and creepy. And she did acknowledge like, oh, maybe these might have been headlights, but that was coming from a road that no one ever drove on. Well, well then that's far less likely that someone would drive on that road than light orbs would pass through rooms. Right. I mean, what? which is more likely, Ross? Stop a, trying to use Occam's razor. That a truck... Finally passed on a road that's not used very often or that bodies survive death, become light orbs and pass through buildings willy nilly. Well, you know my answer. The light orbs thing? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that is the most parsimonious description there. Okay. Yeah, so this was a, a crazy experience that she had, and she said that she had talked about it immediately afterward, and debunkers tried to make her feel like she was wrong or crazy, and so she kept it hidden for many years and just finally revealed it because she realized, you know what? I don't care what they say. Boom, applause. People love that. Yeah, who cares what other people think? It's important. Clap, 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 clap. A good, good attitude. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, Speak I, out. And she said her mom can verify her memoirs. Great. I really wish I could be there in the room with that coat hanger incident. Oh, man. Oh, so many of these stories. Like, oh, if I could just see what happened. I highly suspect that things went down a little differently. Right. Yeah. What do you think was happening with that coat hanger story? <sighs> so you always have the two options. Either one, just it's whole cloth made up. Mm-hmm. and nothing ever happened or someone was saying things and kind of made it up on that level but she's telling honestly what her boyfriend told her right or a coat hanger fell in the closet and the retelling of the story it just led to another retelling of the story led to another retelling of the story and it picked up more coat hangers along the way and they attacked right. the boyfriend I, I i feel like any one of those is far more likely Right. But if it's realized, I want to see it. And nowadays we live like in the time where everyone has a cell phone camera on them. It's high resolution and we still don't see these things happening. Right. So that's why I don't expect that actually happened. What What are your thoughts? I think that's probably about right. I wonder too if something like the coat rack fell or, you know, there could have been some extreme bump in the night kind of thing that could have happened, mm-hmm. you know, that, Maybe that it, did spook the guy. And, maybe an animal was involved. Uh-huh. And if the guy had already been told, like, the house is haunted, weird things happen here, mm-hmm. you know, it might have been primed for oh, yeah. storytelling Especially version. Especially since already at that point... Her aunt and uncle would be known right. as part of the family. Whenever people tell me these stories, because most people have a story like this, something they just can't explain, my response is always, oh, I wish I could have been there. Yeah. Because that's so true. That's what I really wish for. I just, I wish I could go back in time and witness it. 
Yeah, me too. But otherwise, not much I can do with it. Speaking of the Jesus thing, James Gilliland then spoke up and he's kind of a hippie-ish kind of guy. He's got like long flowing hair in his yes. in his maybe early 50s, I would guess. Anyway, so he was saying that they used to come abduct me, the visitors, but this wasn't a problem for James because he was trained in the teachings of the inner Christ and the Buddha. And we can actually teach this power to others to help them avoid abduction. And a woman sitting near to me like whispered to the other lady, like, that sounds really interesting. (laughs) So he mentioned that he was scared as a kid. He had experiences like this. But he said it hasn't been a negative in his life, the whole alien contact he experienced. Yeah, that seems to be the common theme, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. James also told us that he has a video where he's talking to someone named Golden Light Eagle. And <laughs> and he, James, his own ego becomes an orb and floats around. And he's like, oh, it's amazing. You can see it. My own ego becomes a light and it just floats around us. It's so amazing. But what I'm just picturing his is- ego. Yeah, his not ego. Is eagle. <laughs> Correct. Because that would be a Patronus charm. All I'm picturing is James and a guy sitting next to each other and a light <laughs> bouncing around. And then him just being like, that's my ego. Could have just been a truck traveling down that road. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> huh. Anyway. Yeah, ego is a big thing for him. That'll come up a little later. Uh, so then... Whitley. Whitley Strieber. Oh, Whitley, my we favorite Whitley. person here. Okay, so then he starts talking about Anne. Yeah, I think Whitley wins as our favorite person. Oh, I love him. At this uh, conference. So he starts talking about Anne, and every time he does, he, he tears up, and mm-hmm. he says, she was a soul with a plan. Yeah. He says, in 2004, she actually had a near-death experience. Right. She wasn't afraid of death anymore after that. And she wanted an assisted death. And Yeah, and she had an assisted yeah. death. And he says, we did it legally. We were very careful to do it legally. And this is the first that this has brought up. At his previous talk, he hadn't mentioned that they used physician-assisted suicide or death, however. Right. People use different terms for that. And then this other guy on yep. the panel. Yep, I know what you're Co-ops this moment and is like, you know, there's an empty chair here on stage. And I think this chair is for her. I think she's sitting Stop here it. with us. Stop co-opting Anne. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Totally robbing the moment of its yeah. sweetness. I don't know. It was. Yeah. It was like, it let's make crass. this about me. Yeah. It's like a medium, you know, making it about them. And then Whitley clearly is not impressed by this and is like, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And then like tries to move back to what he's saying. And this guy's like, no, I think she's here. I can tell that she was wonderful. Oh, that was James Gilliland. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I was so mad at him because, yeah, he got worse with it saying that, yeah, I feel her presence right now it's like oh don't don't do that what are you doing what's wrong with you yeah it's like Teresa Caputo shit oh yeah that made me mad yeah it was really annoying Whitley Strieber handled it well because he's a class act but by just sort of like letting it last the shortest amount of time and then then moving right along yeah Yeah. he asked the audience because he was talking about his experience with these little blue aliens these midgety blue aliens he said who else here has had experiences with the little blue guys one person in this audience of like four or five hundred raises their hand yeah and he's like oh okay a couple people (laughs) yeah and then he said well those are the visitors i deal with 
But then Whitley mentions that he has been visited by a huge white owl. Yes. So we were prepared for this because we know what owls mean. Oh, yeah. They're UFOs. They're synchronicity. They're time travel. They're they're, they're everything. Owls equal pretty much anything you want them to equal. Whatever you want, baby. And Mike Clellan. Before your heads just explode about this, Mike Clellan knows he had spoken about Whitley Strieber in his talk. Yes. But yeah, still very exciting. Now it's worth writing him to inform him of the connection. (laughs) (laughs) He needs to know again. One interesting thing that the panel said here is that they believe there's less abduction now and way and way more paranormal experiences. I wonder why. Did they say? No, they said that they do think that abductions are by and large over now. And that instead, aliens are communicating more and more through these paranormal experiences. Interesting. Yeah. I'm actually giving a talk at SciCon this year about what I see as like this movement in the UFO community from fringe science to this paranormal movement. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I remember that Kathleen was saying that aliens are very concerned about our actions on this planet and they're trying to aid us to get back to telepathy, that that was our original mode of communication and that we had that Tower of Babel moment where we lost that ability and then we had to start using spoken languages. Mm. It's really clear that at some point this was all a fringe science movement and now it's moved to this like metaphysical movement. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, we find people kind of teetering on both sides of this. Right. And sometimes both at the same time. Right. James Gilliland told us that the earth is terraformed. Right. I guess originally it wasn't the lovely earth that we know it to be. And another spiritual note was that uh, James Gilliland was saying that Jesus or Mary could have just been Pleiadians. Sure, they could have been. That helps explain it. They give us downloads, and even now, I'm receiving downloads, like this moment. And so he said that all of us are getting these collective downloads right now as we're sitting here and mention collective consciousness. And in doing this, he started dissing Stephen Greer and his name dropping and his motives. But he didn't actually say Stephen Greer. Right. It was very clear who he was talking about at this conference. It was clear it was Greer. And uh, yeah, said that Stephen Greer, well, again, he was referring to this one particular person, has a bad aura. Oh. And that you really need to- Aura bashing. saying, yeah, you need to look at ego and look at Obama's speeches. There were 57 eyes in one lecture where he kept talking about I this, I that. Whitley Strieber also took a moment to say that he doesn't like to say anything that he can't verify or he doesn't have evidence of. Mm-hmm. And then he went off in this long speculation about this galactic organization and how there are gajillions of species and that more than one species goes extinct every second in- True. The galaxy. Okay. And but and yet new ones are being born all the time. Yeah, he goes into all these details about this galactic federation. It's pretty wild. Yeah, he said he got that information from one of the beings he's in contact with, right? Yes. Right. Oh, Kari, right? Because isn't Is that he, the name? Isn't he in contact with Kari? Oh, I don't even remember. I forget if it's him or someone else. Someone's in contact with a being named Kari. Not with Kari. you. You're Carrie. No, I'm Carrie. That's correct. You're in contact with Carrie, but I think he's <laughs> in contact with Kari. Kari. All right. Someone is in contact with a Kari. So he can't back all it up, but he's pretty sure. 
Uh, Ross, is it? Oh, who, me? Yeah. Are you talking to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm Ross. You know, I've been thinking. I really love our show. I love what we do. It's a great show. But I've been thinking of hosting a completely different show. Okay. Like, maybe you could pitch to me, like, what's another show that already exists that maybe I could, like, make uh, the other hosts leave and then I could host mm, it. Probably not one with the host names in it. Right. Those are really hard to replace unless right, they're right. Carrie. Oh, good point. But there's this one. Going into a bullseye interview, I know that it's somebody who does amazing work. I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Is that possible? Is that's that true? possible. Yeah. Should I check with your therapist? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I will be. <laughs> who are you, dude? You all over the place. I got a lot of respect for you, man. That's that's dope. Bullseye. Creators, you know. Creators, you need to know. Find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. So, yes, then then it was time for Q&A. Q&A time. Okay, so so I'm like, Ross, 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 Ross. Oh, yeah, Carrie you, leans over to me. I, I dare you to ask them if they were talking about Stephen Greer. And Ross is like, oh, you want me to sow the seeds of discord, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's <laughs> like, why don't you go ask Yeah, him? I do. And then I was like, oh, okay, fine. And then I looked at all the chairs sitting in this labyrinthian pattern, and I was like, oh, I don't want to cut through all these chairs. Also, I don't know much about Stephen Greer, and I didn't know if I could phrase the question well. Okay, fine. I'll go sow the seeds of discord. (laughs) Trundled on up to the front of the crowd. And as you were going up there, the guy next to me is like, is he going to go ask a question? (laughs) And I was like, yeah. And he's like, that's so great. And I was like, yeah. And he said, <laughs> because I don't think he's been liking it very much. The conference? Yeah. I said, oh, why? And he said, well, you know, he's just been doing crossword puzzles. <laughs> and he, he was oh. talking about Ross's Sudoku. Yeah, which I'm holding up right now. Ross has been taking all of his notes. In, in the, every space that is not a Sudoku. In the, on the margins page. of a Sudoku book. So and Carrie so, picks this up and shows it to him. Yeah, I showed him it and how, yes, all the Sudoku are in fact filled in, but all around it in tiny, tiny writing, there are notes all around. And I'm like, <laughs> oh no, see, he takes notes all around the Sudoku. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. I like that he was not only paying attention, but worried about my enjoyment of this conference. Right. He really wanted you to be checked into the contact. So now he knows I'm engaged. I can't remember the other questions being asked, but they did get to me. And you asked. And I got the microphone. You sowed the seeds of discord. Yeah. I I kind of announced myself to everybody like, oh, this is my first contact in the desert. And everyone applauded. Yay. Clap, 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 clap. I took a bow. I feel like I'm hearing these two different narratives, and I'm not sure quite how to reconcile them. Sounds like I've got one speaker telling me that the government is really behind all of this action and that people who think they're being abducted are kind of being misled. But then on the other hand, I'm hearing about all of these different species of aliens. And how am I to tell the difference between the two? Is there a real difference there? You also said, and I feel like you were kind of singling out Stephen Stephen Greer. Greer. Yeah, I named him. I'm naming that elephant in the room. Because Stephen Greer is really the only person who espouses that first theory. And I think it's pretty clear a lot of people at the conference don't like like his presence. Right. One of the organizers of the conference, we had seen this woman the previous night kind of take a bow for helping. She had jumped up very quickly and grabbed the microphone from me and said, well, maybe you're referring to my lab experiments. And I was like, "Uh, maybe, am I? (laughs) I I don't know. I think she was trying to contain this and have it not turn into something. But then James Gilliland jumped in and said, well, really, 
ego should help us discern this. I mean, just look at Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And you use that as an example of how of how ego can run rampant and really cause destruction. And just, you know, look at the people who are having this debate and, and look who has the biggest ego. Presumably That's not the, so helpful. Presumably not the one whose ego turns into a ball of light. And Steve Marillo said that it can't all be the government. They can't do all of that by themselves. So it has to be these aliens. Yeah, you know, it's so weird how hung up they are on all these movies, man. Someone else said during that q and I don't think in response to you, but someone said, we've already had disclosure. We've had it in the form of Star Wars, Men in Black, which are real. <laughs> oh, okay. The media is getting the story out there, except when they are being stopped from getting the story out there. Yep. When we like it, they're telling the <laughs> truth. Yep. Uh, Whitley did say something good in here, I think. He said, you got to think beyond good versus evil. You can't think of the government as entirely good or bad. There's going to be good and bad actors in there. Thank you, Whitley. Thank you, Whitley. Of course, then, you know, he's also like, I have this thing in my ear that... That actively jumps away from scalpels. I love him, though. But you can nick off a little bit of it. <laughs> Still but functional. Maybe this is a good time for me to tell you. Yeah. I have been reading Whitley Strieber's book communion yes who a boy ross this iconic book yes does your copy have that haunting image of the alien on the front of it Yes, it does. Oh, man, I remember that. Just seeing that in bookstores as a kid. Oh, it's such a creepy image. I got that at my local library. So communion is great. I'm, as you can see, about halfway through it. A true story by Whitley Strieber. I'm really enjoying it. Definitely going to finish it. Make true. Listen to it often. Then I'm also using as sort of a concordance to Mm. check everything. I'm reading this much lesser known volume called Report on Communion, an independent investigation and commentary on Whitley Strieber's communion by Ed Conroy. Okay, this is hilarious. Who is that a picture of on the cover? That's a good question. Is that Whitley or is that Ed Conroy? I think that's Whitley with kind of alien eyes. taken his eyes and they've made them similarly (laughs) black with little glints of light. That is hilarious. Okay, this guy is amazing. He did so much work for us. Thank you, Ed Conroy. He was a freelance writer for the San Antonio Express News. He just like piece by piece checked every claim in there. Amazing. And like wrote to Whitley's doctors directly, just checked everything. As I was reading Communion and trying to figure out what was going on, because the weirdest thing about Communion is time. You know how like when we were listening to his talk, it got really confusing because he'd be like, Mm. in December, this happened. But then also in August, two years earlier, this happened, which was was the first time it happened. But no, this was kind of the first time it happened. But also this was the first (laughs) time it happened. And it was just kind of confusing that way. Yeah. It's the same way in that book. And I was like, gosh, uh, time is so confusing in this. And then I started realizing like, oh, that's because so much of these memories are kind of recovered and Mm. not necessarily recovered in hypnosis, but just sort of like he'll just kind of like suddenly remember something and not be sure when it happened. And Ah, so he doesn't fully know himself. Yeah. As he's zooming about the universe and time. Yeah. And then at one point, he just finally confronts the idea that maybe he has something called temporal lobe epilepsy. And then he tells Ah. you about, and of course, I know about temporal lobe disorders because they come up in our work fairly regularly. Mm -hmm. Your temporal 
frontal lobe is responsible for so much of what makes us able to understand the world. Coherence. Yeah. But I didn't know temporal lobe epilepsy too well. But when I heard that, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, Whitley, (laughs) hang on. This this is going to be very key. But he dismisses it so quickly as not the explanation for his experiences. Ed Conroy really dug into that and checked it out. It appears to be 100% the explanation for Whitley Strieber's experiences. Yes. Oh, wow. He claims that he's been tested for it, but even the doctor's note that he provided, Ed Conroy went back and wrote to that doctor Mm -hmm. and was like, hey, I read your note. It seems not clear that you were saying Whitley doesn't have this disorder so much as you were saying the tests don't indicate that he does, but that there's no clear diagnosis here. And the doctor was like, that's... That's right. There's no clear diagnosis here. Ah, okay. He could have it. He okay. Could, he could not because because it was back at a time when like they just didn't really have full testing for that. Amazing. But does he have the diagnostic criteria that he could have it? Yeah, totally. Should he be tested now? Probably. Wow. But Whitley like hasn't since. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Yeah. So... If you just assume that this guy has temporal lobe epilepsy, it makes so much sense. The whole story (laughs) makes perfect sense. Okay. Anyway, communion is great and everyone should read it. Fantastic. So next, we split up. I wanted to go see Senator Mike Gravel, a former senator from Alaska. He was going to be lecturing on a new paradigm of human governance. He's like a pro-disclosure guy? Yeah, I wasn't sure exactly what his deal was, so wanted to hear him, especially because, you know, you've got a former U.S. senator. That's a pretty big deal. Okay, cool. Well, I was going to go off to hear a journalist speak, but let's hear about Mike Gravel. So I wandered back up to the sanctuary, and Mike Gravel was talking about filibustering and how he had used that as a tool to beat Strom Thurmond back in the day. He was talking about different techniques that you can use just to kind of make this filibustering process drag on longer and longer. For anyone not familiar with U.S. politics, this is just a way to block things from happening by spending a lot of time on the Senate floor talking about it endlessly. So he mentioned that you can suggest the lack of a quorum, and even if there is the presence of a quorum, they have to go through this whole long procedure, and that can give you time to drink some water or whatever you need to do. Uh, He also mentioned that he would get a thorough enema before he would go do his filibustering. Oh, wow. Yeah, because he said, you want to be emptied out as much as you can. And then he would actually hook up to his leg to catch his pee. So he would have like a tube and he could pee into it and it would all catch in a bag. And there was an actual assistant who had to come in every now and then, empty out the bag and put in a new one. Is this what most people do? Apparently. He was talking as if this is typical Senate procedure. If you're going to do a long filibuster. So I've thought about this so much since you told me this. Yeah. Like so much. Okay. Maybe once every four days I think about this. Really? And I'm like, is it possible that this is typical? I hope that some people write in and tell us if this is really typical because it is really ruining my day. <laughs> okay. Senate aides, let us know if this is a thing. But he was trying to set a record with this particular filibuster. So he was in it for the long haul. I just want to know, like, was Wendy Davis just peeing all over? herself maybe he said that other people have just peed on the floor of the senate 
during a filibuster. Oh, just like directly onto it, you mean? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, or through their clothes. Uh, who knows? Who knows? He also said that you can get a pad to stand on that can just keep your legs from getting too tired and help keep the blood flow a little bit. I guess some must wear just like adult diapers. That would probably be as You talked about, I think, pressurized socks to help keep the blood from pulling up in the legs. Yeah, this is not a natural thing to stand around that long yeah. without going anywhere, and you have to stay there. Let's just make a podcast about this. But he was filibustering the draft, which was, you know, oh, yeah. really cool move so yeah he just seemed like such a great guy so like i'm starting to get really pro mike gravel here like yeah. let's make this guy president you're like nothing he could possibly say from here out could <laughs> possibly sway me away from being a big fan of this man who should now be president what could he possibly say next and then yeah no no he was still doing well for a while like he had incurred the wrath of nixon because he had released the pentagon papers so he had found a way in the senate to release essentially a whistleblowing in the senate by making it part of the proceedings and There was this whole system, he said, that had started, I think, under the House of Un-American Activities, where they would notify people by just dropping this huge stack of papers off under their doors mere minutes or hours before a vote was going to take place. And then you could say you'd properly notified them, even though there was no way or any chance. Right. And yet all that information could then be read into the minutes of the Senate. And so he had done that with the Pentagon Papers. And Nixon had tried to indict him. And a bunch of wheelchair veterans had all come to protect his office. So his office office was flooded with all of these volunteer wheelchair veterans who oh, would wow. block people who would come try to indict him. It was, yeah, a crazy story. It's like, yeah, vote for this guy. He's also now the CEO of a cannabis company. Oh, wow. Yeah. He must have been the one whose company was selling stuff down there because there were a couple of cannabis companies selling stuff in the vendors. Oh, must be. Yeah, he's 87. And he said that he felt they had just invited him to be the CEO to have someone who sounded really reputable. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then he had really gotten involved and he's like, oh, if you think you're just going to make me the CEO and I'm going to rubber stamp things, you're in for a surprise. (laughs) So he'd come in and started knocking heads together and we're going to make this work. Oh, good for him. Yeah. He had no love loss for Nixon. He was mad at Nixon still for making pot a Schedule 1 drug. Looks like he is the CEO of Cannabis Sativa Inc. Okay, that's the one. Is this guy ever going to mention UFOs? Not really. Well, you know, (laughs) so I kept trying to figure out, like, what is his position? And I think he's just very pro-disclosure in Uh, general. Okay. He never said during his talk anything specifically about UFOs. It seems weird. They don't seem to be an important part of his platform. He's all about giving the right to the people to make laws and and all these other legitimately good good. causes for the most part. The only thing I could find was that he had received $20,000 from the Paradigm Research Group. Okay. And they advocate UFO disclosure. Okay. And he had made some noises saying essentially, you know, something's watching Earth because we're a warlike people. Uh, apparently, they're just another group that's kind of like Stephen Greer's disclosure project. Okay. They're trying to get people to come out and talk about this knowledge that they have. And it seems like Mike Gravel is generally just like, oh, everybody should have a voice. So maybe yeah. that's where he finds common ground. I'm totally for disclosing these things. It just seems like I would run out of steam if I were like trying to fight for the disclosure of something I didn't really think was there. Mm -hmm. I guess I admire him if he's keeping up the steam. Yeah, I don't know how sincere he is about that, but he seemed to be happy to have a room of hundreds of people listening to his message, Mm -hmm. which seems to be the important point. And yeah, in 2008, he lost the Democratic nomination, as we know. Then he ran for the... No, I think he won. (laughs) He he ran for the Libertarian nomination Ah. as well. But even then, he only got like third place or something. And so he said, I'm done with politics. Uh, But he was already very 
pro term limits. And I mean, so much of what he says is really good. Right. I still like Mike Gravel, but. Maybe he's just being smart and he's like, this is sort of the foot in I can get to this conference and I'll talk about yeah. what I want to talk about once I get there. Could be. Yeah. yeah. And who's going to stop him? You know, he's like a octogenarian senator. Sure. And one other hilarious thing was that he was talking about Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook fame dipping his toe into the political world and trying to kick off some initiative. But he was saying, oh, no, Mark's going about it all the wrong way. And I just want to talk to him. And I keep trying to write the Facebook folks and they won't listen to me. So I want all of you with Facebook accounts who here has a Facebook account. I want you to send a letter to Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) He said it like send a letter uh, to let him know that he should talk to Mike Gravel. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's very sweet and out of touch. <laughs> so all of you on the intertubes. <laughs> Do you have a Facebook account? Can you then send a letter on the Facebook account to Mark Zuckerberg? Oh, he said send a letter on the Facebook account? He just said send a letter. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very sweet. To Mark Zuckerberg. Well, more Talk power some sense to him. him. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to picture myself writing to Mark Zuckerberg and like what would be the top things on my list to tell him. If you had Mark Zuckerberg's ear. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I'd be like, stop changing the format of Facebook. It makes people so mad. Why are all the buttons round now? Yeah. It and doesn't actually bother me when they change it. I don't care. You know what? I'm with you. I can adapt a little bit of change. <laughs> and come on, man. Talk to Mike Gravel. And uh, then they went into the questions, period. Now did people ask him about UFOs? I mean, most of the questions were about marijuana, and then he was talking about why he went libertarian for one election cycle. So I was getting ready to leave. I thought, okay, well, I think I like this guy. I've gotten enough. And I was starting to leave. And so then he started talking about how he suspects that JFK was killed for a particular speech that he made that the Russians liked. And so then the government decided they need to get rid of him. So I was like, oh, So I stopped at the back of the room. And then he said that 9-11 was definitely an inside job. Okay. Oh. And then he started going off about how all of this free energy stuff is completely bunk. And I thought, oh, hey, this is anti-Steven Greer stuff. Uh Uh-huh. So he's getting kind of exciting and contrarian at that moment. And then it all ended. So yeah, I, I was all ready to leave. And then he started saying really controversial stuff. And then it was time for us all to leave. Uh, Too bad. Sounds like this guy was a little disappointingly rational. Yeah, I mean, I, I just really liked him. And aside from a few crazy things toward the end, I thought, oh, yeah, I like yeah. Mike Gravel. Power to the people. But Ross, 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 Ross. Carry, 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 carry. That's harder to run that is, end true. to end. Yeah, you're right. Mike Gravel is pretty cool, but you know who else is cool? Barack Hussein Obama. <laughs> That's true. But also Rosie Crow. Rosie Crow. We have a jumbotron for you, Rosie. And it's from the fabulous ladies of board game night. Happiest of birthdays to you, Crozy. We love you even though you win all the games. What's up with that? I know. Rosie's really rigging the system. Too clever for your own good. Mm-hmm. You think that's a coincidence that Crozy rhymes with Rosie? Well, her last name's actually Crow. Just a <laughs> nickname they gave her. Oh, I get it. I get it. <laughs> And we have another Jumbotron. Yes. This one is from Elijah Van Ben Schoten. To Amber Hunt. He says, For the hardest working person I know, thanks for being the best part of my life for the last nine years. The last nine fucking years. That's what he meant to say. <laughs> this shit is dope, y'all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Yo, cunt, uh, <laughs> dick. I don't know. So this jumbotron asked me he to swear. Specifically, I'm trying to. I'm sitting here thinking of what is a swear word I can use. But you're on but it. Then I went. Yeah. Then I went for cunt, and you were like, "Oh crap! I can't How top do I this." Top that. This person really wanted me specifically to swear for Amber. So Amber, here are some cuss words. Damn. Shit. Fuck. Dick. Did I say dick? I yes, earlier. Dick. Yeah, what are the George Carlin ones? There's like piss, motherfucker. Oh, that's sad. Piss doesn't even sound like a swear word to me anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, motherfucker. That's a good one. This is a long time long. ago. Anyway, those are all for you, Amber. We hope you have a goddamn wonderful relationship. <laughs> Earning our explicit tag. Fuck yeah. Okay, well, I was at the Jeremy Corbel lecture. He was giving a talk called UFOs, a clockwork orange. Whoa. That doesn't even give me an idea of what he could be no, saying about that UFOs. Mean anything. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. They dress up in white and they terrorize the town. <laughs> well, he's an investigative filmmaker. He claims to have heard deathbed confessions from CIA officials. yes that's right deathbed confessions yes well he basically is a a filmmaker and journalist and you know i just kind of thought like okay you know kind of a kindred spirit here right like he's okay he's someone else who says that you know he's not an expert himself Mm. but likes to investigate and document and talk to people who are experts and kind of use his own rationality to decide who's telling the truth and okay like let's hear what this guy has to say right all right Okay, Okay, sure. Let's give it a go. All right. I left this talk thinking, this man is not good at his job. Was he not asking questions he should be? Mm, He's asking the right big questions, but not the right little questions Mm. to arrive at those answers. Okay. Not having a very skeptical attitude when people approach him with wild claims. Okay, so he doesn't have a good threshold for, wait a second, this maybe requires a second look or... uh, I'll just throw this out. Right. So he showed us several films, not all the way through, but pieces of of films that he's made. The first one was called Immaculate Deception, the John Lear story. Well, I like the title. (laughs) Yeah. So apparently John Lear was the first guy to talk about Area 51 or so I'm told. He was Bill Lear's son. Oh, Bill Lear, who we've heard about from Amazing Facts. Yeah. All this stuff like keeps having tie-ins. It's a small world after all. And was he a virgin? Why? Immaculate. Oh, I see. <laughs> I see. Um, no, I don't know why it's called Immaculate Deception. I don't even know. Because it's a good play on words. Yeah, why not? It's just like this being about a clockwork orange. Right. So this has great production value. The guy's a good cinematographer. He's got good equipment for sure. So it's very pretty. You say it's well filmed. Do you also feel like it was cogently put together? Do the films kind of follow a rational narrative? Are they watchable? Mostly, yes. Going back over my notes here, there are some like pieces that I'm trying to remember how they all fit together. But uh, I'm not going to blame that on him because some of it might just be looking back a little bit over time. But yeah, I I think for the most part, 
like they're pretty coherent. Okay. Yeah. So this this Bill Lear story, first of all, Jeremy, the speaker, tells us that he used to have special access to NASA. He doesn't tell us what that means, which made me just want to email NASA and be like, did this guy have special access? But I mean, what like, what does that mean? I felt like even emailing and asking that would make me look dumb. <laughs> you know, he doesn't have special access. Like, to what does NASA? that even mean? That's not even a thing. What is special access? See, everyone in the audience should immediately say like, oh, sure. Right. <laughs> what is that even? You shouldn't feel confident saying that in front of a group of people. So silly. Something is wrong with the world. So there's a scene in this particular movie where a guy named George Knapp is calling a place called Dulles yeah. to ask them whether there's an area called S4. And apparently S4 is a secret base where NASA did a bunch of testing. And I guess John Lear said that like, oh, it was it was this secret area. No one really knows about it and told George Knapp about it. So George Knapp is like, calling and saying, yeah, can you tell me if S4 exists? And he puts it on speakerphone. Uh-huh. So this poor guy at NASA answers the phone and is like, oh, geez. Um... <sighs> Okay, I'll uh, I'll try to find out for you. <laughs> okay. Someone uh, balancing between trying to be nice to the crazy person on the phone. <laughs> right. Not knowing what he's talking about. Puts him on hold and comes back and is like, I'm not able to find an S4 right now. And they both like look at each other knowingly. Uh-huh. He's like, I, okay, I'm going to try to get you an answer. Can I get a callback number and call you back tomorrow? And George Knapp's like... Oh, I've got all the time in the world. No problem. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll call you. They call back the next day. Uh-huh. Uh, I got an answer for you. There's no map here that has an S4 designation. I bet if they had called and asked about MQ, it would have been the exact same process and they would have gotten the exact same answer. And what if they had said, yes, there is an S4? What would that have meant? Sure. All would mean the same thing. Okay, so then Nap says, well, it wouldn't be on a map anyway because it's a secret. And okay, I think this is very interesting how he's parsing the language here, right? Because he's saying (laughs) it's not on any map I see. Notice he doesn't say it doesn't exist. He says it's not on any map. That's not saying S4 doesn't exist. It's saying it's not on. (laughs) Because maybe he has a map with S4 and he closes that map he sticks it under the table it's not on any map i see <laughs> or maybe he just closes maybe he's blind so he can honestly say it's not on any map i see oh <laughs> did he actually say that no 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 oh, no. that would have been awesome or what if they called back and said yes there is an s4 i mean what would that have meant to them then they would have just been like ah oh, see like, it's right uh, in the middle of s3 and s5 ah oh, see there is an s4 everything is a hit for them wouldn't right. have meant anything oh yeah yeah it's uh, truly unfalsifiable oh yeah okay so then all of this falls on like some guy named bob lazar who's like one of their experts they keep turning to this guy named bob lazar who's like the source of a bunch of this information how bizarre bob lazar (laughs) Ooh, baby i'll let you finish baby making me crazy making me crazy Every time I look around. Every time I look around. Okay. All right. So Bob Lazar (laughs) claimed to have an... Okay. Bob Bob Lazar. Okay. Continue. Bob Lazar claimed to have an MIT degree, but doesn't... (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so I'm guessing that's reporting you did? Sort of. Okay, so this is how it came up. I'm, it- I'm picturing them saying, Bubba's are who's told us he has an MIT degree. And then Carrie does a quick Google search. Nope, he doesn't. No, in one of the like talking head interviews with someone else, they were like, oh, well, everyone just fixates on how he didn't go to MIT. And that's like why they discredit him. And I just, the way they said that, I was like, what? Like uh, that? Why would you even mention yeah, that? Yeah, why would someone fixate on- not- also not go to Yale? Carnegie? <laughs> yeah, like I just, that particular soundbite just stuck out to me as like a weird thing. And so then I looked it up. And he had and, been falsely claiming. And he had been like regularly saying he went to MIT and someone that's a big ding on your credibility contacted MIT and they were like he never even went here okay yep that's a problem okay so then the next video was uh, something called Nano Guy which was a Nano Guy Nano Guy which was a video tiny guy (laughs) it was a video of two guys doing cold fusion oh okay yeah sure Uh, so they say oh like Fleischmann and Pons no did some people actually do cold fusion well it was this big scientific controversy that they announced it and the scientific community got really excited because they thought, oh, this is credible. And then it turned out not to be real cold fusion. I wonder if this was them. Oh, maybe. Okay. Uh, Were they in America? Yes. I wonder if this was them. They made this big press release where they said this was all coming and then, yeah, it never panned out. Oh, okay. I don't think it was them, but maybe. Anyway, so he filmed them doing it in their, what appeared to be like their home laboratory. And Oh, this was, yeah, this was like almost three decades ago. Oh, okay. No, this was definitely more current. Okay. These are two guys just not even affiliated with universities. They're just, we figured out Cold Fusion. No, I think... I think they were more reputable than that, if okay. I remember correctly. Okay. But they haven't been able to scale it up, even though this was years ago. I think this had been like eight years or something since they did it. And he said, so either that's historic footage or it's not what it appears to be. And I was like, yep. Those are your options. <laughs> yeah, it just felt like, okay, you know you're exploiting unknowns for your audience. Like, mm. you know what you're doing. Okay, so this is a willing con, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. Okay, the next one's called Patient 17. This might be my favorite one. Oh. This is a full-length film, though we didn't watch the full-length version. And this one's about a patient getting an implant removed from their leg, an alien implant. Okay. Yes. Ooh. Gonna get to see it. Oh, I know, right? So their doctor is Dr. Roger Lear, another Lear. What the heck? I know. That this Lear is L-E-I-R. Okay. So Jeremy, first of all, tells us he was skeptical at first. He didn't believe in abductions until he made this movie. Ah. Why do people always Never heard do that, that before, yeah. I know, they always do that. No, no, I'm skeptical too. And his patient was skeptical that aliens had tagged him. Okay, cool. Great, 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 great. And the first thing we see, he shows that the doctor uses a stud finder to find... A stud. No, to find the implant in the patient's leg. Like something from Home Depot? Yes, a literal stud finder. (laughs) He like puts it up and down, then it's like... And then they use, they do use an ultrasound after that. Oh, okay. (laughs) Then an ultrasound. And then they show how the implant gives off EMF radiation, obviously. Okay. Okay, so then they remove it the usual way. They use like, you know, a scalpel and normal- Forceps. Normal surgical tools. Take it to a lab for analysis. But once they take it to a lab for analysis, okay, who should you have analyzed? Let me guess, does it go missing? (laughs) We'll get there. Who should you have analyze it in the lab? Okay, a metallurgist. A 
okay, that would be a good thing. I would say maybe anyone besides the person invested in calling this an alien thing. Oh, no. Maybe anyone besides Dr. Roger Lear. Oh, no. So they take it to a lab and they sit Dr. Roger Lear in front of the screen. And they say, have at it. This reminds me of when Owl Guy, Mike Clellan, wanted to peer review his work. And so he sent it to a shaman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's exactly like that. Okay. Okay. So Dr. Roger Lear looks at it and is like, yup, it's an alien thing. And they're like, great, we figured it out. (laughs) And then... Have you seen it at this point? Yeah. What does it look like? Oh my goodness, Ross. You know what it looks like? It looks like a piece of fingernail that's black. Okay. Yeah, if you clip your fingernail, it's that sort of like consistency and thinness, but like, but black. I feel like there's never any consistency to these implants. Yeah. Like they come in every shape and size just like UFOs. But also, yeah, it's like thin and kind of wiggly. Like it makes no sense that this would be a device that you would embed electronics in or something. It's certainly not. Right. Nothing looks mechanical about it. Right. It looks like some weird free floating organic material. Totally. Now this Roger Lear, that's not the podiatrist guy, is it? Have you heard of this guy? No. There's this one implant specialist in the UFO community that's always referred to and he's a podiatrist. Oh, I don't know. I'm just going to do a search for alien implant podiatrist. Roger Lear. Oh, cool. It's him. I've totally heard of him many times before. Okay, cool. Over the decades. Oh, yeah. He is like the number one UFO alien implant guy. His claim to medical science is that he is a podiatrist. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, man. It's him. Well, we should watch his movie. Fantastic. This this movie so far is great. Okay. So then now that we've had him look at this and really medically examine it, then Lear dies. Oh, no. (sighs) Great. So one check and balance, if you want to even call it that, is now out of the equation. So now Jeremy sends the sample to a lab himself. Okay. So he claims that he gets anomalous results for something called zinc 64. Hmm. The sample has slightly more zinc abundance than is expected from an earth sample. (laughs) And Jeremy says to the crowd, if anyone is a scientist and I'm wrong, please let me know. As if someone in this crowd is going to stand up and be like, yes, you're wrong, Jeremy. (laughs) Your zinc 64 is exactly right based on the information you just gave me from the stage. Right, right. Yes, it is one of the five stable isotopes of zinc. (laughs) Exactly. And he like flashes his data on the screen, but you can like barely read it for a second. Um, Blinding with science. Exactly. So then a military funded nanophysicist with a personal laboratory in New Mexico, a man called Nanoman, looks at the data. (laughs) So you sounded very credible until you said Nanoman. Why is that called Nanoman and the other movies called Nano Guy? Oh, anyway. (laughs) He looks at the data and he said it could not have been made on Earth. Anyway, so then he had several academics look at his sample and they all said, well, it looks like your sample was cross-contaminated, probably was contaminated with nickel, and you need to retest it. I'm looking here. There's a a chart online and the most abundant isotope of zinc is zinc-64. Apparently, a bunch of people said that it was probably cross-contaminated okay, and that he should get it tested again. Which means the prior results were useless. And guess what, Ross? Guess why he can't get it tested again? Because <laughs> he lost it. He can't get the sample. Because the military finally kicked in and deep-sixed this. <laughs> 
can't. The smoking get gun. The sample. Why can they I can't never find it anymore? Yeah, why did the sample? All right, note to any of you out there who find new implants, keep a laser-like eye on that thing cuz they just go missing all the time. Like golden tablets, hard to keep track of. Okay, so if you want to see Patient 17, you can see it at The Orchard. I think that's a streaming service or something. I want to see it. He also wanted us all to buy a book called The Hunt for Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, yeah. When I came, he was showing a film about Skinwalker Ranch and cattle mutilation. Yeah, he was showing us a picture of cattle mutilation. And he ended on... Always pleasant. Yes. Right before lunch. He ended on a video of George Knapp, one of his interviewees. And he was saying, if we fail to convince you good... That was our point. <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought, oh, well, good job. If we fail to convince you, good. good. That was our point. <laughs> that was our no. Point. <laughs> Why would that ever be the point? My goodness. <laughs> you the saddest sour grapes thing a person could say. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay because i you know i didn't want to go out either yeah yeah that I'm, was my point i'm glad you rejected me i was that, was that was the point definitely thought we shouldn't go out that was the point. that's why i thought i should ask yeah. <laughs> that, that's actually what i wanted <laughs> <laughs> cool well mission accomplished yeah good job wow Oh, boy. Well, that's all very well and good, Carrie, but... Thank you. Thank you, Ross. That's so nice of you. Can you tell me something about mattresses? I totally can. Is that a good segue? That is so crazy that you'd bring that up just out of nowhere because actually this episode is sponsored by a mattress company. What? Yeah, it's sponsored by Casper. That's weird. Why was I thinking about mattresses? I don't know. Go to the mattresses? Yeah, it's a Godfather reference, clearly. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses Forget this, a fraction of the price. So I'm picturing the normal price. I'm holding my hands apart, but you're saying this is a fraction of that. Yes, move your hand closer to your other hand. Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking. Mm -hmm. I've heard of them. Don't their mattresses feature supportive memory foam for a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and the right bounce? That's crazy, Ross. It's like this was already on your mind. I have a special connection to mattresses. I guess so. But yeah, that was all accurate. Every single word you said was accurate. And also, they have a risk-free trial and return policy. So what if I tried sleeping on a Casper for a hundred days and it was delivered for free to me because I live in the US or Canada? Could I painlessly return it? Oh, totally. Yeah. If you don't like that sucker, you just return it and it's no big deal. They're like, okay, we'll take this back. But we don't want you to sleep on our mattress if you don't like it. But you know what? Yeah. You will. Well, okay, but hold on. I'm going to trip you up here. Where are these mattresses made? <laughs> I am a patriot. Oh, uh-huh. Okay. I don't That's want any... Most I don't want... About you. I don't want any mattresses from the caribbean weird okay or chile oh these these are strange xenophobic qualities but (laughs) this mattress is still for you because it's made in the u.s oh it is where we have good labor laws so it's a good idea i'm saying nothing (laughs) about the countries of chile or the caribbean islands i'm sure their labor policies are primo oh i don't know about that you're gonna get so many emails or they're not i'm saying (laughs) i'm saying nothing about the labor practices Anyway, it's These made are here. good mattresses. Made here. And if the fractional price was not incentive enough, you can also get $50 off of your order. Whoa, a fraction of a fraction. Because you listen to our show. All you have to do is visit www.casper.com slash... Oh, no! So use that promo code, oh, no... 
O-H-N-O, at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. So now it was lunchtime. Yeah, let's just march right off to lunch. No one will interrupt us. Carrie wants to go get a vegan smoothie down the road. But no, I had other plans in mind. I was the one who ruined this for you. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's my fault. I had stopped by along the way and seen these vendors. You know, there had been all these tents lining the edge of the amphitheater where we were spending most of our time. And I felt bad. I hadn't really stopped to talk to any of them. Like there was one tent where they were doing energy massages. Yeah, so I had stopped at a couple other ones and I thought, oh, this this interaction is so rich. I've got to bring Carrie up here to see the cell phone protection booth. Oh, yes. I led her up there. Oh, let's just stop real quick before we go for lunch. And Surely this will take two minutes, yeah, Max. Yeah, I want them to show you how they protect against harmful cell phone radiation. So we go up and we talk to the guy who's selling EMF absorption medallions. Yeah, I had interacted first with the lady who was next to him. She was alone at the time, and now she was busy with somebody else or on the phone or something like that. And so he was a little more gruff, black hair, comb back. He was more perfunctory about it. Okay, all right, you want to you wanna try this? Okay, here, I'll show you. All right, where's your phone? Where's your phone? Put your phone down. So Carrie puts her phone down. All right, see this? This is a, is a magnet. This helps protect against radiation. So he plunks down this little magnet. It's maybe like three quarters of an inch in diameter. And it's fat too. Like they're going to adhere this to your phone and it's going to add a good eighth of an inch to the, the girth of your phone. And so he puts this on her phone. He takes it off and he uses this little EMF detector. EMF and- stands for electric electromagnetic frequency. I found the exact model of this on sale on eBay. It's called the cell sensor. And so it's made specifically for this, for showing harmful EMF on cell phones. And so he waves it over Carrie's phone and it's got like this little dial that shoots up and the little top goes beep, 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 and turns red. And then he puts the little magnet thing back on her phone and then he holds it over there. And there's like a little attachment that he's waving around and now it doesn't beep. Oh, Wow. Cool. It beeped before and now it doesn't beep. The woman had shown me this when I was over there and I said, oh, that's interesting. And so she kept doing it back and forth, but she'd get a little off in her timing. So sometimes it would beep with the thing on it with their little cell phone protector on my phone. And then sometimes it wouldn't beep when I didn't have the little protector. So she was getting her timing off and I was trying to watch her hands to like see exactly what she was doing to control Uh the beep, beep, beep. And did it just have a little on off switch or something? I'm guessing, yes, something in her hand on that little handheld scanner. Wow, what a scam. Exactly. It was a total scam. And so I had asked her, oh, can I try it out? Oh, what? What? And she like changes the subject like, no, can I Can I actually try this? Oh, what do you want to try out? Can I try the, the scanner on? Oh, well, I don't no. speak English. No, actually, well, it, the thing is there's only one and it doesn't belong to me and I'll get in big trouble because it was really expensive. Ah, uh, uh, smart. Yeah, yeah. Except I'm seeing it here on eBay for $26. Oh, wow. So anyway, it was just such a total scam. We should, we should order that. If it's just 26 bucks. Yeah. Just order one. I think our listeners want us to have a cell phone radiation sensor EMF detection detector meter alert portable probe. Yeah, if you can just turn it on and off like that. Is it does it look like it's the exact same? It looks exactly like one of those ghost detectors. I th- yeah. I think you bought me one of those too, actually. Oh yeah, I think I remember that. It's very much the same thing where, oh, this detects EMF. But I wonder how she was just turning it on and off like that. Yeah, I feel like there was actually something she could do to get the results she wanted. I wonder if she was a little turning an on switch on and so it was just like powering up that's what i would suspect yeah and i think he was just a little better at it Uh because his was timed well but just in case we were at all concerned that these sellers of scalar energy pendants and cell phone protectors were reputable he clinched it for us by saying 
here, let me demonstrate this for you. Here, come stand with your hands out. <laughs> and we both look at each other like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not no, going to no, do no, this. No, no. Are you seriously? Because this is an old trick. That we have experienced before. If, a if you, few times. Yeah. I remember us discussing it on the reflexology, reflexology episode. That's right. There was a guy who was selling quantum medallions and had us do this same test that this guy had us do. They do it in malls to sell power balance bracelets and stuff like that. So it's called applied kinesiology. They have you stand on one foot and hold your arms out. And then they do whatever it is that they want you to not seem as balanced with. Okay, so Ross, I'm standing there in the T-pose. He pushes my arm down. I fall over. All right, now we're going to put this dot and it doesn't matter. It can be touching me or not, or it can be waving over me or whatever. But he says, okay, now take the same pose. And then he pushes down on my arm in the same place. But this time he pushes straight downward before he was pushing down and slightly out away from my center of balance. And now I can resist just fine. The implication is that this little dot that he's placed on my phone that he says is from some meteorite in Russia is now keeping me balanced and grounded firmly. It was really clever too because he he had me do it, but he was kind of controlling my hand. Mm. And he even said like, just push straight down. Don't like push to the side or anything, but then used his hand to kind of push my hand to the side. Uh-huh. He put his hand on top of yours. Yeah. Really S- clever, weird manipulation. Sneaky Dan. Yep. So yeah, very clearly a scam booth. Yep. We're calling you out. And then, okay, so then I asked him, so what is EMF? And he's like, well, it's uh, it's electromagnetic frequency. It's like, yeah, it's what makes your cell phone work. It's uh, Oh, it's yeah. The- you asked the important question. Right. It's the it's the waves that go in and out of your phone. I said, well, then if I put on my phone, will my phone not work? <laughs> Which is, yeah, the perfect question. Because if this stops radiation, well, then it stops the method your phone uses to be a phone. Right. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. He said it like, like it was a stupid question, too. He's like, no, 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 of course your phone will work. And I was like, well, how then? And he's like, well, just, you know, when you use your phone, it gets really hot. It Mm. won't get hot anymore. And I was like, oh, so it's like a phone cooling device? And he's like, "Uh, yeah. And what this always misses in all of these pitches is that the radiation from our phones, yes, it is uh, electromagnetic. It is not ionizing. It cannot adversely affect our cells or the molecules that make them or the atoms that make those. It goes right past them. It doesn't knock off electrons. So you can stop worrying about it. Okay. In case you were. So based on a false premise and really scammy treatment. So, all right, we're good with that. But then I said, well, Carrie, come over here. Let's talk to this woman because she has another useful product that you might be interested in. I was so hungry at this point. (laughs) I felt I was starting to feel bad for you. But I introduced you to this woman who sells UV powered solar chargers, these batteries that you can charge. I, I think it also used visible light. But she said, like, even if it's nuclear winter and you have these clouds overhead, it can still absorb UV radiation and build electricity from that. Right. And she told us right off the bat that she has sold 2,000 of these to the Pentagon. Yeah. Like her personally. Right. She was telling us all this inside info that like this guy at the Pentagon had been leaking information to her about how they were prepping for the end times and making sure that all of these would withstand four bullets from a twenty-two or something like that. And this didn't happen. <laughs> and you were even saying like, huh, they're, they're telling you an awful lot as this contractor for the Pentagon. Oh, well, I'd been with them for a week. And so they were confiding in me by then. Yeah. 
And yeah, so she was telling us how she personally has supplies to feed two people for five years and was telling us how we also need to prepare. So she's starting to give us- Yeah, a little doomsday prepper talk. Yeah, exactly. She's giving us all of these recipes and suggested foods and ways that we can survive the coming uh, yeah. apocalypse. And then she gave us this little quiz. She said, you should always have rice and beans because yes. can you cook rice and beans even if there's no fire? And I said, yes. And she said, you're smart. Most people said no. <laughs> and I said, well, you could just- and you can also tell by the tone of your voice what answer you were Right, for. right. <laughs> but I was like, well, you could just soak them. And she's like, exactly. And anyway, you just keep them in your house. And then if they go bad, you give them to a homeless shelter. Oh, no. Did she say that? Yeah. That's terrible. No, don't give them to a homeless shelter if they go bad. <laughs> homeless people still want to eat food that's not rotten. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, she is also boy. clearly a David Wilcock fan because she was talking about that big cataclysmic event being tied to this second coming event. Oh, the, the solar cough? Yes. Yeah, that didn't happen in 2012. But seriously, guys, it's going to happen. It's going to happen real soon. That event. And so she got interrupted because all of a sudden everyone's eyes were directed upward because there was a plane that had been leaving a chemtrail, but apparently had stopped leaving the chemtrail. <laughs> They're like, oh, it totally disappeared. Where did the chemtrail go? I don't know. So now we're all busy looking up at that. And another woman from another booth has come forward. And she says, well, it probably went into a different dimension. <laughs> because sometimes they send them. I'm not even kidding, guys. She says they, they often send them into another dimension so that you can't track them. So I'm thinking, okay, follow this woman. We'll get out of this conversation with woman number two. Boy, is this a mistake. Oh, we should have just made a run for it right then and there. I was feeling really bad because I knew you were hungry and this just kept extending and this longer is, this and longer. This is the worst mistake we could have made. So we follow Chemtrail Girl. Mm -hmm. Oh, she talked to us. Not even kidding you, everyone. She talked to us for 20 minutes about Aww. chemtrails. Okay. She and her husband make these orgone energy pyramids, these mm -hmm. organites. Mm -hmm. I almost bought one. I didn't. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. First of all, she's an environmentalist. That's her whole deal. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't believe climate change is caused by emissions. So she's a useless environmentalist. Yep. But the way she's fighting the destruction of the environment is by taking tiny copper coils and putting them at the foot of cell phone towers. Yes. Yes, she was telling this whole story about how Wilhelm Reich in the 30s, he was the one who started this whole orgone energy thing. He discovered that there's this blanket of bad, positively charged energy and that this is intentional. It's evolved now and they're using cell phone towers. Yes, it controls our cell phones, but also it is putting out all of this positively charged energy. So yes, she and her husband boldly fight like Don Quixote against these cell phone towers with their little organite devices. It's crazy, man. It's uh, quartz and little metal shavings. Doesn't matter what kind of metal it is. And copper coil set in resin. Uh, but it's mostly resin. And that 
is protecting our towns now. And they're ugly. Oh, I I can see how some people would find them nice. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. No, No. you're right. They could be cute. But they're, I was just trying to find like the cutest one. And Uh I'm sorry for calling them ugly. I'm sorry for body shaming these things. It's just, (laughs) they're not super cute. And it just kind of broke my heart that this environmentalist was doing this. Instead of Instead of doing anything that helps. And then like to have them not even being artistically like that pleasing to the eye. It was just sort of heartbreaking. I gotcha. They're beautiful. As my friend Jordan Morris would say, they're beautiful and they're brave. (laughs) She also doesn't believe that deserts are natural occurrences. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's all this creeping desertification that's tied to all of this energy that needs to be counteracted with the orgone energy. Right. They had pet pendants for 20 bucks. I know. See, like, for a relaxed take that down to like three bucks, you guys. You would add a customer. Yeah, this seems to be about the going price for everything around here. So the little ziggurats that they had, these little pyramids cost 25 bucks for the smaller ones. And those little cell phone protectors, tiny little ceramic magnet, whatever they were, ceramics, those cost, I think, 20, 25 bucks, something like that. And goodness, the power generator, that was probably a lot more. Yeah, that was a lot. I can't remember how much that cost. I want to say somewhere in the hundreds of dollars. This woman with the chemtrails, she was going off about uh, how we can get active and we're just thinking, oh, we're not going to use any of this information. (laughs) Nod, 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 nod. But she was also a blogger. And I think I did sign up for her email list, but I don't think I got anything from her. Okay. So then we finally got away uh-huh. and went to get lunch. So that was an awesome first half of the day. And yeah. we were glad to get some food. And we're coming back for more, which we're going to tell you about in our next episode. Our last UFO episode. I mean, not ever. We're going to look into UFOs again in the future. Probably. But we hope you've enjoyed the summer of UFOs. It might be a while until we come back to you. So this was our penultimate episode. Yes. And the previous one was our anti-penultimate episode. Whoa. And the one before that was our pre-anti-penultimate episode. And the one before that was just There's not a term for that, yeah. Just average. That's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our producer and co-editor is Ian Kramer. Go to facebook.com forward slash onrack. There you're going to find pictures. There you're going to find things that we post. There you're going to find other people in the community to talk to. You can talk to us there. Come to facebook.com forward slash onrack. You can support this and all our investigations at maximumfund.org forward slash donate. That is a wonderful way to support us. I know, right? Thank you to all of our donors. You are the best. And you can go to iTunes and leave us a positive review. You don't even need to write in a long flowery description of how wonderful we are, but you can. Or you could just like leave a star rating like ah, five stars. These guys are great. More people should know about them. And you can also leave a Jumbotron request. Jumbotron. Maybe you have a girlfriend. Maybe your name's Sally. Maybe it's time that you and Sally made things a little more serious. Maybe you want to say, Sally, would you like to be pinned by me, Kirk? You could pay a little money. You could get a Jumbotron message in here saying, hey, it's me, Kirk. I would really like you, Sally, to be my official girlfriend and you could have it on this show. Just go to MaximumFun.org forward slash Jumbotron. You can also find us on the Twitter. We have a tweet and it's at Oh No Podcast. That's right. And remember, we also had a chem buster, which was great. So I would say one of the best things about it was there were literally no chemtrails. I mean, every time they tried to spray a chemtrail, it would completely just fall apart. And we could watch it happening and demonstrate it time and time again. So we were able to do an actual demonstration of how Organite cleans the sky. Mm -hmm. Deep, Deep blue sky every time.
the UFOs we saw, and when I say UFOs, we have to really expand our definition of this. UFO means unidentified flying object. If you can't identify it and it's flying, it's unidentified. We saw planes spraying chemtrails that you could see through, literally see through the plane. It was very, very strange. We saw evidence of holographic imagery cloaking whatever it was that was spraying. Over time, I've come to realize that the sprayer planes are not airplanes in these larger programs. I'm not talking about cloud seeding in these localized projects. I'm talking about that stuff going up way up high. On a broader scale. So the planes are starting to show their holographic nature. And in addition to that, we had a very strange object, which was really fun to look at. A little white dot high up in the sky appeared in the daytime over the stage area. And it just hovered and hovered for a very long time in one place. So I zoomed in on it. It's very difficult to zoom in on these things. And it took me a while, but it hovered for a long time. And I got many pictures of this object changing shape. And it just stayed still and just turned in one place very slowly. Uh, turns out later, there's a logo on the object. And it looks like a Ross shopping bag. Everybody <laughs> said this is just a shopping bag. However, I will say this. I did get a picture of an actual shopping bag on the way home on the side of the highway, about 20 feet up, spinning round and round and round on the breeze. And zooming in on that, I could barely get it. It was so tiny. So I'm asking, how does a tiny shopping bag, even a Ross bag that held, you know, a new set of sheets and blankets and stuff. Is there even a Ross in Joshua Tree? There is in Yucca Valley. And I I wanted to go there because I love Ross. (laughs) And here's the funny thing is if... I don't think it was a shopping bag. It was dismissed as one by some, even one of the speakers. Mm-hmm. David Wilcock, without looking at it, said, that's just a shopping bag. That's the usual dismissal of a UFO that I hear. Um, and we're but, at a UFO conference, <laughs> and he's dismissing it. Well, it looked, okay, it didn't look like a shopping bag at all up there. It was very, very high up. There's no way you could see it that clearly if one 20 feet up in the air off the highway was so hard to photograph. You've got to think about that for a minute. So anyway, um, I've got lots of pictures on the blog of these things, but you've got to think about that for a minute. It did That's say- the kembo.tumblr.com. Thank you. Hey, Londoners, do not miss out on your chance to see the Beef and Dairy Network, Jordan Jesse Go, and Judge John Hodgman live at the London Podcast Festival from September 13th through 17th. Tickets are still available, so realize what you've done wrong and fix it. Get those tickets. For more information, go to MaximumFun.org and check out the live shows on the right side of the page. Go! Do it! MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.